Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. We have taken a break from Nehemiah because of the calendar of events. We had observed a Passover. We observed Resurrection Day. We observed Yom HaShoah. We observed uh, Israel Independence Day. And today, this afternoon, there's a uh, march, or I should say a celebration going on at Rancho Park. And so you might like to go there after our service is concluded. But in the book of Nehemiah, just by way of a very brief summary, we noted in chapter 1, Nehemiah became aware of the need in Jerusalem. The walls have been torn down. And he set his mind to prayer and also to think of what he might do to rectify the situation. In chapter 2, he gets opportunity to speak to the king Artaxerxes of Persia, and he is ready to tell the king or to request of the king those things he might need. He requests, first of all, that he would have access to the royal forests in order to have wood and, and lumber in order to rebuild the gates of the city of Jerusalem. We know he also had asked for safe passage, that is what we would consider passports today, to get through the various checkpoints along the way. And then the king offered to give him a personal military escort so that he would arrive safely. When we get to chapter 3, we then see how Nehemiah began the process of rebuilding the walls. He inspects the walls. He walks around the city uh, and sees the situation. He takes note of the rubble, and he sees where the families are located. He then appoints the various different families that will be involved in rebuilding the wall to various sections of the wall so that the wall is being rebuilt all at the same time, section by section, and by those people that live closest to those areas where the breaches have been made in the wall. Now that the wall around Jerusalem is about to go up or is going up and the foundation is laid, in chapter 4, we begin to see some opposition that Nehemiah faces. Look at verse 1. When Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry, was greatly incest, He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who is at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. So the first opposition is really one of ridicule. One is of a psychological uh, attempt to cause the people to reconsider their process of rebuilding the wall because they're being told there is no way they're ever going to accomplish this task. It may not seem significant to us, but the reality is, is that when there is vision for the future, when there is a desire to bring about change, in this case, rebuilding walls that have been torn down for over 170 years, and when there is a desire on the part of some to make the effort and sacrifice to begin the rebuilding process, there is always those who are ready to say it cannot be done. Where are we going to get the manpower for this? 
How are we going to get the funding for this? How are we going to get the engineers in order to remodel and to help us understand what needs to be done? It is an impossible task. And in this case, notice where it's coming from. It comes from Sam Ballot. He's the governor of Samaria, some 10, 50 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. I find it significant that the opponents of Nehemiah's desire to rebuild the walls are those that surround him. In the north, it's Samballat from Samaria. We read about Tobiah, who is the Ammonite. Ammon is in Jordan to the east. Later, we're going to read about Arabs that come and join in the attempt to discourage Nehemiah and those who are working with him from accomplishing the task. They're coming from the south. And then there's going to be another individual, we're told, who comes from Gaza, that's on the western part of the city or of this country of Israel. So we find Nehemiah surrounded by enemies as he's attempting to rebuild the walls. I find it interesting, though this is certainly not what Nehemiah is referring to, but how pertinent that is to our own day and age. For today, as we reflect on Israel's Independence Day and celebrating it, Israel to this day, like in the day of Nehemiah, is surrounded by enemies on all sides. Maybe not the Samaritans to the north, but you got Hezbollah in Lebanon to the north. While the Jordanians may have a peace treaty for the time being, they certainly do not have a full recognition of the state of Israel. It's merely a means to an end and not a genuine desire for peace on the part of the Jordanians. And mark my words, as I said last week, that as the Muslim Brotherhood begins to get churned up, and when Syria, in my estimation, falls, the next country to watch will be Jordan. Already they've taken over Egypt to the south. Already Hezbollah is in the north in Lebanon. Already Hamas is in power to the west in Gaza. Already the Palestinian authorities with a desire to destroy Israel is right on Israel's border on the west bank in what is modern day or ancient times Samaria. And to the northeast is Syria who is still an enemy of the Jewish people, and then to the east is Jordan. The same surrounding enemies that Nehemiah faced, the same surrounding enemies Israel faces today. But let us make no mistake about it. As we go forward in our own lives personally, as we go forward in the life of Beth Ariel, we too will find the voices of discouragement like we hear here. And keep this in mind, when God is beginning to move and to motivate and direct a work that he has in mind, the evil one certainly will raise his voice and raise his hand. Sometimes we don't think of ourselves as being agents of the evil one, but we can easily become them. Like Peter, who thought he was saying a good thing to Yeshua and said, far be it from you that you would go to the cross. All of us would have said the same thing because who would have wanted him to die? All of us would have thought, Yeshua, why are you saying this? No, no, no. We will go with you. And like Thomas, we will even die with you. But none of us would have said, oh yes, Yeshua, go to the cross and die for our sins and go on with what we later have come to realize, primarily because of the work of the Holy Spirit. 
But here was Peter, the principal disciple of the twelve. And he's the one that Yeshua says to get behind me, Satan. We have to be very careful when God begins a work to be mindful of the things we say because we can easily discourage those who understand that God is moving forward in a way that he wants us or us as individuals to move forward. And there will be those who will say, why are you casting in your lot with the Lord? Don't you know what that might mean on your job? Don't you know what that might mean for your family? Many of us who come from Jewish backgrounds certainly had to face that issue. And the words of discouragement to give up on what God is doing surrounds us and sometimes compels us and tempts us. That is the voice of the evil one through the instrumentality of human beings to cause us to walk away from what God has in store for us. That's what was happening for Nehemiah. And that's what always happens when God begins to do a work. As undaunting as it may appear, as impossible as it may seem, there will always be those who will raise voices of discouragement and attempt to thwart the work. They think they're giving us sound advice. They think they are being clear and honest and see better than the others. They think that they are being honest about what they see, and I believe that that may very well be the case. Just like here, Sam Ballot was not saying anything that was not untrue. They were feeble people who were working on the walls. They were people that were working with burned up rubble, rock, and stone. They were individuals that were attempting to do a massive work of reconstruction, many of whom had never lifted a stone in their lives, I imagine. Many of them never have been involved in an engineering feat of any kind. What he said was certainly not true. It was true of what they were facing. But as Nehemiah will remind them, what is most true is that God had called them to that work. And it was God that was going to see that the work was accomplished. It would involve the effort of the individuals, but it would necessitate the work of God in their lives and in their hearts and in their minds. If you take a look, for example, at verse, verse 14, he says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, Fight for your brothers and your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. That is what we need to put our minds and hearts on. Not on what we see initially surrounding us as frightening as it might be. Because God will deliver us time and time and time again. You know that in your own life. Those of you who have walked with the Lord with any length of time, fairly long or even short, you can look back and you can remember the struggles and trials you went through and now you're on the other side of them and you must say, as I do often, why did I fret so much over that matter? I've come out on the other side by the grace of God. So I'll share with you a recent 
issue that affected me and I was utterly, I don't know what the word, depressed. Though I don't like to think of myself as being depressed. But I was utterly depressed over what had transpired. It's fairly complicated. I won't go into all the details, but it affected our health insurance. And ever since Mary Lou and I were married and learned of the illness that we would bear together, that has always been a preeminent concern of mine. That there would never be a time where I would not be able to provide for her for that need. And for the bulk of our life together of 39 years, God has been gracious to provide us with whatever medical help we ever needed. And so a couple of Weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, I got a letter in the mail telling us that our insurance had run out in November when we had thought it would run out in December. And certain medications had come in that we had pre-ordered, it comes on schedule, in December. A medication that cost over $10,000. And if it wasn't for our insurance company, we wouldn't be able to have this provision. And so I get a letter from a collection agency. None of us like collection agencies for anything. And the letter said, because your insurance was terminated in November, your insurance coverage for December was not in vogue, and therefore you owe us 10 grand for this medicine. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm always trying to be on top of this thing. In fact, I'm always trying to be on top of my life and fail miserably. And I felt this was another one of those failures on my part. And as I made calls after calls after calls, and they're telling me, hey, listen, you know, it wasn't paid. I'm sorry, but that's the way it goes. And then I elicited the help of Michelle. (laughs) And the Calvary began to arrive. And And Michelle helped me. And help me construct and craft letters and communication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what was it last week? We get a call saying your insurance is being reinstated for that month. And all of those costs are therefore covered. I tell you that story for two reasons. One, if you have any problems like that, see Michelle. But... And the other reason I tell you is because we all can be discouraged by big things like that and sometimes little things as well. But know that God is an awesome God. Isn't that what Nehemiah says, verse 14? Let me find it again. Where he says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And even if it wasn't reinstated, God would have provided somehow, some way that I would not have had to carry that burden as I had taken it upon myself. That seemed undaunting and impossible a task that I had before me dealing with that debt. And yet God shows up and brought deliverance. The enemies of Nehemiah and the people of Israel showed up. They spoke the truth, no doubt, in in many respects. Maybe not in all. I'm not looking at it carefully. But they said many true things. But Nehemiah had to remind them, God is the one who's leading. 
God is the one who's directing. God is the one who is providing. Remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome. So we have undaunting tasks before us. As I said before, we're in negotiations about purchasing this property. I can't imagine that. I really couldn't. Well, I could imagine it. But it's still rather um, pressing to think how this is going to happen. Remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome. As I've said before, and we're going to talk more about this in detail, we want to identify more directly, obviously, with our Jewish people. I personally believe, no thus saith the Lord here, but I personally believe in the not too distant future, we're going to see again, like in the 60s, 70s, a revival happening in the hearts of our Jewish people. Not that I'm not concerned about non-Jewish people, I am, but as our ministry focuses on the lost sheep of the house of Israel, we've worked very hard here at Beth Ariel for 30 years to be a light unto them with perhaps minimal results. But I really believe God has set us in place for such a time as this, and the floodgates will open, and we're going to see Jewish people wanting to hear more and more about Messiah. We need to get the hurdles out of the way so the issues that we talk about are not the hurdles, but it's the Lord. And as we've said many times, we get calls all the time saying, as Messianic Jews, why do you meet on Sunday? What's with this Sunday thing? And so what do I spend my time doing? trying to explain why we meet on Sunday. I would much rather explain to them why I believe in Yeshua. I really don't want to talk about the days of the week. I want to talk about the Messiah. So let's have people call us and say, you know, you guys who claim to be Jews who believe in Yeshua, and you say you keep the Sabbath, you worship on Saturday, why is it that you even believe in Yeshua? That's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the days of the week. I don't mind talking about the days of the week, but I don't want to talk about the days of the week when I can talk about Messiah. So what do we do about that? Do we keep talking about the days of the week? Or do we make some changes that cause us and enable us and to force others to talk about Yeshua? I say, let's talk about Messiah. Let's make the changes. I know the naysayers are all around us. I know there are those that would say, but, 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 and you can fill in the blanks. But I'm telling you, God is at work. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And we will see, I believe, maybe not immediately, but in some time in the not too distant future, Jewish hearts opening. And they're going to find Beth Ariel. And they're going to see us observing on the day of the week. That is the day traditionally, generally, culturally associated with Jewish people and Jewish worship. That's what we need to be about. We don't have to become Chabadniks. We don't have to become Orthodox. But we can come together on that day when the majority of Jewish people gather for worship. If we were in Israel, we wouldn't even be talking about this because that's just the day we meet. 
If we were in China, we might be meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday when we can hide from the authorities. But we happen to live in a country where we are free. And we live in a city of more than a half a million Jewish people, most of whom, I think, would look upon Sunday as strange, unique at best, and just somehow not connecting with them. So if we want to be about reaching Jewish people, we want to talk about Messiah, not Christ. We want to talk about our congregation or synagogue, not our church. We want to talk about our meeting on Shabbat, not on Sunday. But we want to talk about Messiah, who is the light of the world, the Savior of the world, the promised anointed one, who alone provides us with life everlasting. Do not listen to the naysayers. Listen to the voice of the Lord, who is to be remembered because he is great and he is awesome. If we attempt to do this, we must be on the same page. We must be like the people that Nehemiah worked with that manned the walls, worked from sunup to sundown, if you read the chapter, did not change because they wanted to get the work done and they wanted to be ready to fight for what they knew was right at a moment's notice. It will take sacrifice, to be sure. It may be inconvenient for our schedules as they presently are, but the sacrifice and the inconvenience will ultimately be worth it because we will see our people hearing the good news. If this is undaunting for you, it's just too much. All I can say is you got to look to the Lord. But we are moving forward in this direction. I pray you could somewhat trust what I say. Don't trust me. Trust what I say, which is God's word to us in the scripture. And we'll see some very wonderful things happen that will ultimately astound all of us. And I can't wait to see how the Lord unfolds all of these things for us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this grand man of God, Nehemiah, who faced a very challenging task to rebuild walls that have fallen down and have crumbled, facing discouragement of a psychological kind, but also in chapter 4 of a very physical kind as they were threatened by their enemies with attacks. But Lord, you are the one to be remembered in the midst of it all, for you are great and you are awesome. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in that, celebrate that, knowing you always bring us through our challenges and you always manifest your glory in the process. Father, we would pray for our people, open their hearts and minds. Set us here aright at Beth Ariel to be the instruments in your hands for this grand purpose. And even in these few moments that we will take to celebrate and observe the Lord's Supper, Father, I pray that we would be moved 
by the sacrifice you meant that you that you met to deal with our sin. May we be willing to make the sacrifices we need to make in order to help others have their sin dealt with as you have provided for us all. For you, O Lord, so loved the entire world that you gave your unique beloved Son that whoever believes in him, Jew and non-Jew alike, would not perish eternally, but have everlasting, eternal life. Glory to your name, O Lord, we pray.